my last episode featuring Christopher Tallon, author of Switchers, had a little bit of a technical snafu at the end of the episode. You might not have been able to get the details about where to find him or pre-order his book. That's my fault. The editing job didn't happen how it needed to. However, I want to include that in my show notes today. So please check out the show notes today. You can get all the information on Christopher Tallon here. And uh, my sincere apologies to you, Chris. Also, thanks again, Michelle Rado. You're like my uh, unpaid audio editor. Really appreciate you. I have got some great interviews coming up for you. This Wednesday, I'm going to be bringing you one with Lena Crow. Her story is amazing. I hope you've heard her name. If you haven't, I think you will soon because her short story has been optioned by Jordan Peele to be made into a movie. And while there's no exercise on the option yet and production hasn't exactly started, you just get the feeling this one's going to go places. But for the time being, I had an experience this weekend that I really wanted to share with you. And so today, I hope you'll enjoy just a quick hitting you and me conversation about cleverness and why cleverness is destroying your ability to connect with agents, editors, and other writers. If you're using cleverness right now, you are alienating yourself. And I encourage you to think about it and to stop it. And on a lighter note, I wanted to let you know that when I was a fledgling writer, there was one place I went before anywhere else, and that was BookFox. You can find it at www.thejohnfox.com. John is spelled J-O-H-N. That's www.thejohnfox.com. There are so many helpful articles on how to find literary agents, how to write compelling characters who struggle with drug addiction, how to craft a story that draws the reader in. You can't imagine how many great blog posts there are there. And on top of it all, John Fox offers help in editing, teaching you through the process of self-publishing and helpful writing courses. You don't want to miss it. As always, when you enjoy this show, do me a favor. Don't worry about rating and reviewing. It doesn't do a thing, but do share it with a friend who's a writer. I'm making this show for first-time novelists who are on the cusp of publishing and want to make sure that they reach the widest audience and earn money for their book. It's, it's a shameless thing. There's no problem with wanting to earn money for your book, and that's what this show's all about. So we talk about marketing. We talk about mindset. We talk about awesomeness. Share it with a friend who needs to hear it. Without further ado, enjoy this discussion of why you should not be clever. Welcome to Create Collaborate, the show for creative writers aspiring to publish their first book. My name's Jody Sperman, and I'm determined to help you, whether you self-publish or storm the gated walls of agents and editors. Today, I'm going to share with you the secrets I've learned from industry experts and how you can speed your path to publication. I recently ran into someone whose byline stated he was a lover of grammar, properly hyphenated words, and the Oxford comma. He spelled grammar G-R-A-M-M-E-R. My eyes snagged on the obvious misspelling, and I decided to reach out privately to let him know about the misspelling in his byline. 
I didn't do it publicly. I sent him an email. I went to his website, found his email address, and I emailed him on the side. And I told him how much I really enjoyed what he was doing. And that I thought maybe the misspelling would hinder his opportunity to connect with people in the industry. And that I felt weird doing it because it's awkward. But that I really was coming to him in a spirit of helpfulness. He pretty promptly responded to me that I needed to take a closer look at his byline. And so I did. I went back and I looked and I noticed that properly hyphenated was hyphenated. And anybody who knows anything about usage understands that you never hyphenate a word ending in L-Y. <laughs> Joke's on me. I also noticed that there was no comma before the and in the final item on the list. Oxford comma. Ironic, right? I mean, he's a fan of an Oxford comma, but he doesn't use one for the ultimate item on the list. <laughs> I can't believe I missed it. Tell you what, I felt so smart in that moment and educated, and I, I couldn't believe how humorous the byline was. And it really endeared me to the author. Except I guess I'm being clever right now because that's not true. It made me feel stupid. It made me feel like I was a, a, a moron. And it made me question my motives. Did I really reach out to help? Or was I just trying to be some sort of grammar police? You might know me well enough to know that I really overthought this one. These kind of things stick with me. If I, if I know that I've interacted in the world in a way that hasn't produced positive results, uh, my brain just digs and drills and digs and drills. But I'll tell you, after quite a while reflecting on it, writing this episode, I'm positive that my motives for reaching out were pure. They were good in this case. They aren't always. And I'd like to tell you a little bit of a story about Jody from a decade ago, a little over a decade ago. Because, uh, you know, I've tried the clever routine before. And I think I did it at the worst possible moment. Imagine me 60 pounds lighter with hair and uh, kind of rectangular-shaped, nerdy glasses instead of my very cool Buddy Hollies that I wear now. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's my wedding day. I'm getting married to Ashley. And we've decided to write our own vows. But I don't know how to be romantic. It's not a strength that I've ever had. Uh, I don't know how to write romantic, deeply felt words. I don't know how to express my feelings for other people a lot of times. Like, if you were to ask me, why do you love your wife? I would say, because she's great. Yeah, lost for words. It's a, it's kind of an embarrassing place to be, and that persists. I still am not good at that actual part of communication. I don't know how to do it. I've tried and failed so many times. And knowing that about myself and feeling self-conscious and knowing I was going to be in front of a fairly large crowd and a bunch of people who are going to be my future in-laws, I didn't want to look like a moron who was like, I vow to love you because you're lovely. 
But listen, in, in retrospect, that right there would have been better vows than the vows I wrote because I was afraid of looking dumb. I was afraid of not having good words. And so I intentionally aimed to be clever. I stuffed my vows with adverbs, flowery descriptions, and just overall flatness as a way to hide from the fact that I didn't know how to say something meaningful. Instead of finding somebody who could help me coax those words out, instead of brainstorming how to write the vows, I took it on myself to be clever. I know where the vows are because we kept them. They're in a chest right now in my living room with a lot of medals from high school sports and uh, you know yearbooks and things of that nature. And so help me, I will never take those vows out again because to think of them embarrasses me. And I'm ashamed that I chose the weak route of trying to be clever. I'd written total trash vows to be funny. Wink, wink. And people are complimenting me. And all I can think is, you're so selfish, you didn't use one of the most important moments in your life to say as best as you could what that moment meant to you and what that person meant to you. You just tried to look funny and clever. What a waste. I can't have it back either, ever. Thankfully, Ashley is used to me being a bonehead and she doesn't hold this against me. But I want you to imagine for a moment that you're at my wedding and imagine that you're a published author. You've got a few books out there that have been praised for clean, clear writing. And suppose you heard my vows and you thought, this young man is very sincere and well-meaning, but he needs to know <laughs> that those vows are not going to get him published. And suppose that you labor over the best way to tell me without hurting my feelings, but you know that you need to say something because it will save me years of bad writing before I discover that nobody likes adverbs. Not that many anyway. Suppose you approach me and you say, Hey Jody, so happy for you today. You are going to have a wonderful time being married to a wonderful woman. And I know that you love writing. And so I wanted to let you know that your vows, um, they weren't written really well. Okay, all right. Let's, let's set aside the fact that nobody should do that at a wedding, even, even if, even if, don't do that. But just suppose that that's the situation. And, and suppose that I respond back to you, uh, glad you got the joke. Can you believe all the idiots who actually thought my vows were meant to be good writing? <laughs> Ouch, right? So let's go back to the clever guy with his byline full of intentional style usage and grammar mistakes. Say you get the joke. How do you feel about the writer? Is he someone you want to connect with? Say you're a literary agent on the hunt for writers and you see that byline. Does it increase your chances of getting repped? Suppose a fellow writer who could be a good connection for you sees the byline and decides to reach out in kindness to let you know he spotted a spelling mistake that might result in other writers not taking you altogether seriously. And you tell him it's a joke and he should look closer. How do you think that writer is going to feel about you? See, the problem with being clever is that at best, someone gets the joke. But at worst, 
You alienate someone who's prone to be helpful. The very kind of person who reaches out to let you know that there is a spelling mistake in your byline is the kind of person you want on your side. Because if they took the time to share with you something that could potentially feel uncomfortable for everyone involved out of a good spirit, those are the kind of people who are going to connect you with people in the industry who might be able to help you. So don't ever, ever put yourself in a position or anyone else where they're going to feel stupid. You will regret it. You will regret it. Now, thankfully for this particular guy and his byline, I'm not that person yet. I mean, I'm not going to have him on my podcast. I'm never going to promote his work if he publishes something, but I'll stay quiet. I'm not out to tarnish anybody's reputation by name, but I do want to use this as an example for you. It is better to admit that you don't know what you're doing or that you don't have anything to say than it is to try to cover up your ignorance with cleverness. If you are the type of person who has turned to cleverness before. It's time to rethink your approach. You have value. Your words matter. You can impact the lives of readers in positive ways. Even if the most home trick in your bag is an entertaining yarn, you can entertain your readers and provide a few hours of escape from the weight of the world. Take your value seriously. Don't belittle your readers. They deserve the real you, the one who will make mistakes. But the one who, when you do make mistakes, learns from them and grows. Readers love vulnerability. Don't steal that from them. And listen, I'm the first person to say no book should be absent humor. Even the darkest, most hopeless tales of horror and war need humor. But don't confuse a clever turn of phrase for humor. Even the most elevated cleverness is a mere shell compared to the silliest dad joke. You owe it to yourself and your readers to do better than that. Thanks for listening today. And remember, you should never feel bad for telling the truth. So get out there and write. And if you've got a killer story, Apply to be a guest on our show. Email me at jodyjsperling at gmail.com or find me on Facebook, Jody J. Sperling. And hey, there's no point in telling stories if nobody's listening.